When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What does Colgate mean by live life to the brightest? Could it be a rich glass of red sipped inside a Parisian cafe on a snowy night when my gaze is met by a tall, mysterious... I mean, brushing is directed with Colgate Optic White Pro Series Toothpaste gives you a visibly whiter smile in just three days so you can live life to the brightest and finish that glass without worrying about teeth stains. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. Hello, everyone. Thank you very much for being here for the 464th episode of the Hollywood Reporters Awards Chatter Podcast, which we are very happy to be recording here at the SCAD Savannah Film Festival. My name is Scott Feinberg. I'm the Hollywood Reporters Executive Editor of Awards and the host of this podcast. We are thrilled to be working with the festival and very thrilled to have the guest who we have with us today. He is best known for the music he's made under the name Machine Gun Kelly, which includes four Billboard Top 10 albums, his 2012 debut studio album Lace Up, 2015's General Admission, and two that hit number one, 2020's Tickets to My Downfall and 2022's Mainstream Sellout. The New York Times recently called him, quote, the jester prince of a new wave of pop punk, close quote. But he has also racked up an impressive list of acting credits under his own name for directors, including Gina Prince-Bythewood, Cameron Crowe, Susanna Beer, and Judd Apatow. The most recent of which, and perhaps the most acclaimed of which, is 2022's Taurus, a film in which he plays a self-destructive rock star, which uh, had its world premiere at February's Berlin Film Festival, screened at April's Tribeca Film Festival, and we'll be screening here at the SCAD Savannah Film Festival this evening, en route to being released in select theaters later this year. It has earned him, at the age of just 32, this year's SCAD Savannah Film Festival's Discovery Award, and is the beginning, I'm sure, of many more great things. So would you please join me in welcoming to Savannah, Mr. Colson Baker. Thank you again for being here. We have a lot of excited people, including myself. Really appreciate it. Um, On this podcast, we always begin right at the very beginning. Could you share with our listeners where you were born and raised and what your folks did for a living? Uh, That's the first time I've been asked that, actually. It's an interesting question. I was born in Houston for two weeks, and then I moved to Africa uh, until I was about six, I lived in Egypt and Kenya. My first word was an Arabic word. I spent a lot of my younger years like moving around, and then I came into 
adulthood and a teenager and all those years in Cleveland, Ohio. So Cleveland is all right, all right. Yeah, so I, I you know, Cleveland is like Cleveland is my Absolutely. is my home. But yeah, I did have an interesting, you know, upbringing because um, I was raised in Africa, so that was yeah, an interesting yeah. plot well, you, twist. <laughs> you have sort of suggested, and I think it's really interesting to think about that acting, in a way, probably began for you because of the fact that you were having to fit in in so many new places, right? I mean, this goes back to the beginning. Yeah, I was the first kid with leg hair <laughs> in, um, in my school, and I was very tall, and uh, money was money would come and go, so I kind of, you know, like, sometimes I would have well, I, I basically, I, I had these two outfits I would always wear, and, like, the shorts were way too short. And this is before, like, we all started to like short shorts. <laughs> like, short shorts are They're bad. really cool yeah, now. Right. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah, what, uh, I, yeah, I, I, I couldn't get a girl to look at me to save my life. So, um, now... Part of the reason you were moving around, I believe, was that it had to do with your father's profession. Is that right? Yeah, I, we we still don't really ever know what he did. <laughs> Some of my friends were like, "Yeah, we had theories. We were like, was he a CIA agent? Like, what? what he's, I, I don't really know what he he did, to be honest. But he was very like, very very religious, very." Like very religious. Like anytime I was in trouble, he would sit me down and read the Bible to me, and I looked like this dude right here. Where he, every time that he would be reading it to me, I'd be like, arms crossed. <laughs> I'm really sorry that you have to be here. So. <laughs> there, there is a door in case this just gets too. Um, you know. <laughs> I, saw, I ran into Miles Teller last night when I was leaving a bar. I'm sure that, you know, I, I, I wish he was here to entertain you instead of me. But I'm, I'm sure Top Gun is much more interesting of a movie than, than mine. But uh, uh. Well, let's, uh, let's go back to, you mentioned that you would sometimes get a, a biblical talking to. That was because, let me just note a few things you've acknowledged in other interviews, I'm right? going to just, I'm so nervous, I'm just going to stand up <laughs> Don't. and walk around. <laughs> so, you said that you got into, got into a little dabbling with uh, drugs at 11. With what? Drug, uh, drugs? Drugs of some sort, yes. Damn right. Damn right. <laughs> Damn right. I had, a, uh, I had a friend who's like, his older sister dated a rave DJ and this is like back before everyone became a DJ this is like you know like a late 90s early 2000s like warehouse DJ like true rave shit so you know we we tried ecstasy very early in life and uh speaking of Miles Teller I told him the story when we when we first met each other I was like oh man I, I always wanted to be an air force pilot because I, I saw Top Gun when I was a kid and for those of you who are older than 20 years old there was a first Top Gun before this <laughs> Top Gun although Tom Cruise looks the same but, pretty much. <laughs> yeah for sure but uh I like so I almost got my got my pilot's license I was 20 hours away from getting it 
I was like really into flying. It was way too expensive for us to like afford to keep doing it all, but I really wanted to be a pilot. And then, um, you know, when all my friends started smoking, I was like, man, I can't like the Air Force Academy, like test your hair to see if you've ever done drugs. So like, I can't do it. And then, yeah, I just remember I just dove full in and was like, I'm never going into the Air Force after this. <laughs> Bring it on, yeah. Mm. Well, so... Who so, told you I did drugs at 11 years old? I think you you did. He, there was okay. a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, arrested at 14, I believe. I was arrested earlier than that. But earlier, yeah, sure. okay. All right. but, um, but, you know, move, move, we'll, we'll go to the next yeah, one. Okay. Next, yeah. Kicked out of Kuwait. <laughs> This is like a Nardwar interview where <laughs> some of these facts. Yeah, I I got into a scuffle with the wrong person in in Kuwait when I because I lived moved there my freshman year um, before I moved to Cleveland, Ohio. Um, man, we're gonna have to chop it up after this. Yeah. <laughs> I, I did you did you go to school in Cleveland? Yeah, I'm from Aurora. You're from Aurora? No shit. That's so weird. I, that's. I used to, I used to, I, I, what year did you graduate? Uh, 2019. Awesome. Okay. Well, <laughs> I don't think we crossed paths, but I had, I did, uh, did you ever hear about when I sold mixtapes in the parking lot at your high school? Yeah, I like you. That was one of the high schools I pulled up to with my mixtapes. Oh, and, we're coming to that. We're coming to that. Yeah, that's cool. Well, so. All these different forms of acting out a little bit. Where, what do you think was? What do you think was at the root of that at that point? Um, I think, I think a, a, what a lot of our issue is with this, which is like confirmation or af, like confirmation from your peers or whoever it is. But you know, basically, like I, I have. Um, what do you call it when you're like, I really want my mom to love me. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I, you know, I think I have mommy and daddy issues. <laughs> well, hey, no, that's a, that's fair enough. So, but it's not probably coincidental, right? That when I think when you move to Cleveland, that's when the interest in music, which had been there, I read since like maybe even when you were in Denver, going back to fourth grade. That's when it really you started to kind of get into it more heavily but again I guess was part of that you were you were getting like shit from other students other people like you were not the cool kid at well that point. I always I always had really big dreams and I was always like every day was Halloween to me like I would be a different character all the time I remember the I remember just like what I was saying when I saw Top Gun and I was like oh I want to be an Air Force person I I remember one day I like uh I saved up you know, it was like 60 bucks and I went and bought this whole, I, I, I'm sorry for not knowing the specifics of what it is, but like a karate outfit because I wanted to be a Super Saiyan. Yeah, yeah. Because I was obsessed with Dragon Ball Z and I felt, I felt them when they got so angry that they would be like, transform into a different person. That's how I felt when I would get mad. Um, and so I would be like, yeah, so like, I, I mean, that just there's that's one end of the spectrum, and then I remember in high school, I worked at a grocery mart, 
and it was called Dave's Supermarket. I was a, a cart boy, and then I started working also at this airbrush shop, and my manager at the airbrush shop, he was about 300, he was a solid three, 350, and he always had these, um, like big fur coats, fake fur, and big <laughs> fur coats. And this movie called American Gangster came out yep. with Denzel and Russell Crowe. And I watched that, and immediately I was like, I'm going to drop out of school and sell cocaine and be the biggest drug lord <laughs> ever. And I stole his fur coat and wore it to school the next day with my dad's suit <laughs> because that's how Frank Lucas dressed. Right. And just to show you the delusion of how much I was willing to just like dive into character. Like I literally, I, I, I still meet people from my school sometimes where they were like a grade older than me. I didn't really, I wasn't the most talkative person. I always had headphones like these, I still had these uh, like Walkman headphones. There was two sets of headphones I had. The one was yellow that like went over your head like this and they were from a tape player. So they were really shitty. But then do you guys remember the one headphones that were like foam and they like wrapped around your ears and went, yeah. And so I like, I was always the kid with the headphones and then I was always like my dreams. My whole point of this is that my dreams were always so big that it was uncomfortable for people because you know, like it seemed unrealistic. One day I was in a fucking Kung Fu Panda outfit, and then the next day I was like <laughs> Frank, Frank Lucas, <laughs> and I'm like walking down the halls in a fur and a suit, and I'm like. <laughs> At the time, I was like, I don't even know where to get cocaine, but I'm gonna find it and I'm gonna sell it. <laughs> um, like, yeah, I was. Uh, my dreams were really big. It was really uncomfortable. I was always like, I, I was. I saved up all this money to burn my own, like to get this CD burner. It could burn like 500 CDs. And um, I would walk around my school and I would rap for everybody. Everyone was just like, homie, I'm just trying to like get an A. I don't know <laughs> what you're doing. And I would be like, I need $5 for my talent. <laughs> right. But let's go even before that. So the idea that you would be rapping at all, like what was it that you were listening to or driven by to even start doing that? Well, I can tell you this, like, I was so obsessed with music at the time. Like, last night, um, I was in a restaurant, I think it was called, it's called, it was here, it's called, like, The Husk. The Husk. And uh, a song called Changes by Tupac was on, and I immediately walked in, and I go, uh, disc number two of the greatest hits album, track number five. <laughs> and we looked it up, and Changes is track number five on disc number two of the greatest hits album. Like, I was a, I'm a music freak i'm a, i i study the craft so intensely i don't know if i ever really speak about that as much i always talk about like oh i'm inspired by on this but like i don't talk about i can rap every word of the first five nas albums word for word or i waited in line for the blink 182 album when it was happening or me and my friend both split college dropout slash hybrid theory i had hybrid theory he had college dropout or maybe it was vice versa, and we would break the headphones so he could listen to one ear, and I would have the other ear, and we would, you know, I was just a, like, music was my comfort, and then um, I remember I won, I won this, uh, I did this thing where you submit on a piece of paper, it was one of those, like, contests, and I, like, won 10 free albums, and 
I got I got some good ones from it, and that like I, I got like I think Hybrid Theory was one of the ones I got. I got like a Pink album. I got some good stuff. I don't know. I but yeah, I had like a, you know whatever. I was just a I was a music freak. I couldn't stop listening to well, music. People who don't know a lot about you already or haven't heard your song Rap Devil might assume that a white kid growing up in the late 90s, early 2000s, was particularly inspired by Eminem, who was really the primary white rapper at the time. But in fact, there were some other people who were much more influential for you. I believe DMX might have been one of them. I was huge, DMX. I was huge, like, huge. I used to, every time I ran away, I would listen to DMX. I always, like, related to, I always related to him. I always felt like... Because his best friends were his dogs, and I really was, um, I really related to uh, just the the loner aspect. I'm like, I'm an only child, and (laughs) okay, yeah. (laughs) I really, I do, I do. Thank you for all the woos that you've been giving me. I don't really. What's that one character that always does? Have you ever seen East Bounded Down? Do you remember the one, you remember Will Ferrell's character? Woo. Ashley Shaver. Woo. Um, what was the question? No, 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 it's good, it's good. Okay, so we're, we're just a uh, couple more things just about how you were first establishing your, okay. yourself. People might wonder, when and why did you get the nickname Machine Gun Kelly? Um, there was another dude in the city, I I was notorious in Cleveland for rapping for everybody. Like every, I, I worked, the, the airbrush shop that I worked at was in Tower City, which is the center point where East meets West in Cleveland, Ohio. So the train station from the East side, I'm from the East side, you take it down there and then you can get to the West side from there. It's just like the, the center hub of the train stations. And it, it was also a mall. So everyone who was like taking the train downtown would also come and walk around there were these phones called Nextel Chirps, and it was really for the dope boys, but they would also, like, they also had the loudest fucking speakers you've ever heard, and they would always, like, people would always walk down the hall, and um, where I'm from, Gucci Man and Jeezy and Yo Gotti at the time were, like, the, the, the Jay-Z to everybody in the city. For some reason, they just, like, resonated so heavy. Like, Southern music in Cleveland was was it and um yeah i would just rap for everybody over any beat possible i would always battle and i rap for everybody i met this guy he was also named after a gangster and i was also huge on bone thugs yes and i i I was looking for my niche and i was like oh well i can rap really fast and then i just rap really fast and i mean it's actually it's really a a simple story it wasn't like i walked around with like a machine gun but (laughs) now people sometimes look at someone who's successful at what they're doing and assume that it was quick and easy i know that like right (laughs) i mean 2007 to 2010 you're doing you're putting out mixtapes and literally like at malls and stuff, right? Like that's where it was. No. Oh no! I just, I thought this was a grape. I don't know what I just ate. Oh god! <laughs> oh dude, that's a, it's an onion. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. No, no. So, 
2007-2010 mixtapes, a trip to the Apollo Theater in 2009. They'd never had a uh, contest won by a, I think, a, a rapper, right? At, at, the, at, at, amateur, at the Apollo? Yeah, at the Apollo. Yeah, for those who don't know, there's this, there's this, this venue is the most, it's the most special place as far as performances like these venues go it's it's called the apollo in, in harlem new york it's on 125th street and um you know there's just there's this night there called amateur night at the apollo or showtime at the apollo and we basically go there and people come to boo it's like <laughs> it's it's kind of just notorious that that you come with your friends and you just you boo everybody who like even if they somewhat suck you boo them and people that came from there like michael jackson diane ross james brown uh jasmine sullivan like all these like really talented people and um just on a whim one day uh i had just stopped working at chipotle i i found the person who is now and still my manager and I was looking for anything and I was looking online and I saw that they were bringing amateur night back at the Apollo. And so we drove out for the tryouts. We got there at like 2 a.m. We waited in line. I was 49th in line. I'll never forget. I still have like the piece of paper that says I'm 49th. By the time that the doors opened at noon, it was it, thousands of people lined up. And I'm talking about people flew in from Japan who were like dance groups and people were there singing and they basically were like in line. I heard like no rappers ever make it. And God bless his heart, the guy right in front of me. And I haven't talked to him to, to since, but I, I bonded with him heavy in line. His, he was a rapper too and his name was Terrible Tim. <laughs> and I was like, Already, I don't, I don't know how you're gonna. You're in trouble. <laughs> yeah. So he went up, and they were like, uh, they like as soon as he started rapping, they were like, next. <laughs> and then it was my turn, and my jaw. It was. It, I think I'm almost positive. I don't want to invent this for the sake of the story, but I think it just happened to work out like this. I think it was the coldest day in New York in like ten years or something like that, <laughs> and. So my jaw was like locked jaw, like because we had been out there since 2 a.m. waiting in the line. And I went in there and I rapped and they let me get about like 40 seconds off. And then they said, if they, if they say next, that means you didn't make it. But if they say C misses and then they say the name, then that means that you're invited back. So that I, I got invited back and I came back and then I won first place and that was my first music check. It was $45 of the Apollo. Nice, nice, nice. And then I, um, and then that $45 did, wasn't enough to change my life. So I went and I got a job at Bed Bath & Beyond. <laughs> solid, solid brand. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> you know, what's funny about working there. They go, they go, uh, you're not allowed to say the word internet in here. You can only call it the Beyond Store. <laughs> I, I trained there for, I had to do two weeks of training and then I got um, fired my first week for flirting with the, the, my co-employee. <laughs> I, I was supposed to be at the register and I guess I was never at the register when people were checking out. I was like in the, uh, yeah. Well, people need to buy this shit. You yeah, need to right? be there to check people out. <laughs> Okay, so one 
final music question before we get to your first acting role, which then it kind of overlaps from there, from there on. But talk about 2011, you're at South by Southwest, and you've been, again, grinding for a while already, but something happens there that leads to Sean Diddy Combs coming in wanting to chat with you? Yeah. I got drunk and hung upside down from a speaker and... <laughs> As one does. And uh, kind of just shut the whole festival down. Everyone was like talking about, oh man, there's this wild motherfucker running around here named Machine Gun Kelly. Like we were popping up in all these different showcases and it was kind of like, you know, I, it, I, knew, I knew what I had to do. I knew I didn't have like a voice that was, I, I knew I, I wasn't out here singing like Sam Smith or I, did, I wasn't, you know, I didn't have like, I, I was just looking for my niche at that time and I think my niche was like, oh, I know how to be crazy. So <laughs> I like, I, I used that to uh, kind of get everybody talking. So it also kicked me in the ass later because like being super crazy doesn't like age well. <laughs> So, you know, I look back sometimes and I'm like, <sighs> but well, and but I mean, look, it worked there because Diddy asked to see you. Yeah. And that was the beginning of you signing with Bad Boy. Yeah. Him and Jimmy trapped me in a room. Jimmy Iovine. Yeah, of course. Trapped me in a room and it really, it culminated, that started it and then it culminated with them. I was in Vegas I, I wasn't even, I, I still wasn't 21 yet, but I was like rolling with Puff the whole night. So it didn't really matter. I was getting in all the places that I wasn't supposed to get in. And um, yeah, he was, it was like eight in the morning. I was like, I'm going to bed, man. Like, this has been amazing. He was like, bed. <laughs> and he was like, hold on. I, and so he, he, he's like, I got someone who wants to see you. And then Jimmy Iovine walked in and they were like, there's a plane on the runway sitting for you and we're going to Los Angeles and we're going to do this record deal. And so I, I like consensually got kidnapped. <laughs> well, and that was the, that was the beginning of, um, big things, debut EP 2012, yeah. um, half naked and almost famous, like your mixtape. And uh, basically, like let me just cut you short. Basically what happened is yeah. me and Kendrick dropped an album at the same month. And goddamn Kendrick <laughs> blew me out of the fucking water right away. So I, it was, but, I, mean, I went back to the drawing board after that and was like, okay, all right. Well, you even, I think, said there was a period where, I don't know if it was exactly then, but, you know, you got discouraged at, at some point where the audiences weren't what they had been different. Like, I guess there are peaks, people should realize there are peaks and valleys in this, right? Well, my album got pulled from the shelf. I had internal disputes for reasons that shall not be <laughs> discussed but right let's leave all the beef in the 50 please am to push a 50 why you claiming i'ma call puff when you the one that called diddy Facts. then you went and called jimmy Facts. the conference called me in the morning they told me you mad about a tweet you wanted me to say sorry i swear to god i ain't believe him please say it ain't so the big bad bully of the rap game can't take a fucking joke oh you want some fucking my album got pulled i also uh yeah, I mean, you know, I, 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 when you're like, man, fuck the system, man, and the system's like, word, <laughs> all right, and then you got to live with that, like, 
yeah. you know, I lived with that. It took me, it, it, I, I didn't release an album for three years after that. Now, did that have anything to do with you first, I think, moving into acting as well? Or was that always in the plan? No, I grew up loving Jackass. Like, I was like, this is the best TV I've ever seen in my life because it's attainable. Like, this looks like these people dress like me. Like, they're listening to the same music I listen to. The cameras are shitty and, like, looks like how I can, like, looks like what I, I can film myself. Like, I always related to the, to the I, I, I wasn't a glamorous like my childhood wasn't glamorous. I didn't grow up being like obsessed with the the glossy filter on life. I I thought that a show like Jackass was so innovative because it was raw, and I was always the kid with the camera anyway. So I, I was filming us like skating all the time, or I was filming us getting high, or I was filming us just being yeah. teenagers. You yeah. know what I mean? And so I um I became obsessed with being behind the camera. And then I guess like when I would film myself rapping, I was in front of the camera. But um, yeah, I, I think I was always kind of I, I always had a camera anyway, so it was well, meant to the, be. the the good film role or the you know being part of some some really good films started at that around that time, not long after you signed your record deal. I mean, you were in an earlier film by the woman who's now getting great accolades for Gina, Gina Prince-Blythewood oh um, for The Woman King, but at it's that amazing. time... That movie's so good. It's great, right? It's and good. earlier on, she had... This is 2014, Beyond the Lights. You were playing Kid Culprit, a rapper who was not very nice to uh, Gugu Mbatha-Raw's character. But, I mean, I guess first time really working in an important movie with an important director, did you feel at home right away or was it a bit of an adjustment like what was what do you remember from that one well I, I remember really being grateful to her for having faith in me I know it was between me and a couple other people and she went with me I feel a little remiss that I like had no problem showing up like hungover or just being kind of like I was always very respectful of everybody, but I wasn't respectful to myself you know like I, I didn't I, I wasn't at the point where I was like, okay, I, I only have a couple of lines. Like, how can I make this really pop off screen? And I think it worked. Uh, uh, I think it worked, but I, you know, nowadays, like I, I would, I wouldn't approach it the same way. Like I, I do, I really do respect the craft. And one of my favorite movie scenes ever is, um, was in this movie called Glenn Gary Ross, which is a really, really boring movie, but, Alec Baldwin has this five-minute monologue that Rips blew my out of everyone, fucking yeah. mind because he he comes out and he talks for five minutes straight. He's like, "Coffee's for closers." <laughs> fucking, he goes on this whole thing, and he's and then he's in, and then you never see him again. He does this like five-minute appearance, yes. and he made it count. And it probably maybe wouldn't have counted if he wouldn't have made it what he made it. But, you know, I always, you know, it, I remember for like my early years complaining like, oh, man, I only have, you know, five lines or. But I think like there's geez, I can't believe I'm going to use this as an example. But there's this movie. What is it? There's a movie called. Um, it's this mall cop movie where Seth Rogen's observe and report. report. Yeah, yeah, is yeah. that it? Aziz Ansari is in it. Aziz Ansari probably has five lines in this fucking movie. Right. And all he does is sell lotion. <laughs> creepily to girls walking by but he has like five lines 
Again, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, you, and he fucking makes it. He he he. Yeah, that's, he, that, that's who I remember. Yeah. I remember the lotion guy. Like, I, you know. <laughs> so I, I think like it really is about how you approach it. So I wouldn't. I, I you know. I'm never going to take another movie again that I have five lines in, but I also... Yeah, you got to start somewhere. I also... We'll start. I, that would be like the first ten movies that I did. Was no, like, right, I, right, 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 I didn't start and right. move on. I no, like kept right, doing it. Right, I was like, right, yeah, right. dude, I'll do four lines in this movie. The next movie, I was like, yeah, dude, I'll do three <laughs> lines in this movie. The next movie, I was like, yeah, dude, I'll do six <laughs> lines in this movie. I didn't really, you know. <laughs> well, we'll we'll, we'll uh, note though that the hunger was there enough for that. Let's take. For example, the TV show series Roadies. You, this is Cameron Crowe, who's also a guy who knows a hell of a lot about music, right? I know you were a big, almost famous guy. This is one of the best movies ever made. Right? Fuck. And, but here's one where you in the world, like, you, you went after that one, right? Yeah, I went after every role. Yeah. I mean, even, even the roles that I had three lines in, I, like, auditioned a hundred times. Like, the Tommy Lee, when I, when I played Tommy Lee in The Dirt, I auditioned six times for, thank you. Thank you. I, uh, that was one movie where I, I auditioned six times for. Not, that, that's not unlike what I did to a lot of the other ones. Like even Beyond the Lights was probably around the same amount of times. But so I did, so six times, on my sixth time, I was like, well, I'm pretty sure I got the role at this point. Like I'm just gonna, they called me back in for this audition. I'm pretty sure it's just like a chemistry reading and that it's okay. Like just go in and you know, you, you got this. It's the sixth time. Yeah. Dude, I walked into the, I, well on the way, I got into a car accident. Jesus. The guy hit me, so it wasn't my fault. I don't have a license. We were in the middle of an intersection on Kawanga and something, which in L.A. is a big street. My car was wrecked, so I could, it wouldn't drive, and the, it was the guy's fault, but I was like, I don't have my information to exchange with you. I don't even have a license. I'm like, dude, just... Just, just go, and I left my car, and I ran to the audition. Oh, my God. And I got in, and there was two other dudes with drumsticks and long hair sitting in the fucking lobby, and I'm like, still? Like, what the <laughs> fuck, dude? They're still looking for Tommy? I for sure thought it was me. And I went to the audition, and then I, cl uh, you know, I, I closed it. Coffee's yeah. for closing. Yeah, right. And exactly. I, 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 got the, I got the role, yep. and... I was like, man, this is my first big movie. I thought it was going to change my life. And then everyone was like, yeah, but he's a musician playing a musician. So, uh, you know, they kind of, they, they, they wrote it off like uh, easy gig. So, um, but the movie was great. And oh, I, it was, yeah. absolutely. And that was, so that just to keep chronology, Beyond the Lights 2014, Roadies 2016, and The Dirt 2019. Mm -hmm. But with, with Roadies, another kind of legacy of that is that I guess Cameron was the one who's, who encouraged you. Maybe you had this uh, idea already, but like maybe there should be a difference between the guy who's doing music and the guy who's acting. And yeah, he always called me Coulson. He called, okay. Yeah, that was the first time I started hearing my name was Cameron. And you liked that? Yeah. Well, I had a parking space and it was, it said Coulson Baker. And I was like, sick. Like I hadn't, no one ever called me my name. Even when I was in school, no one called me my name. Even my teachers knew, like, I was, I was machine. I would, but I in was those days, always. it was probably welcome. That was your persona. But at a certain point, maybe as you became better known, like, it's probably nice for people to remember there's a real person behind Machine Gun Kelly. Yeah, kind of. I mean, like, a camera was kind of like, a, like a, a, a father figure to me, so I kind of was... 
That was when I started to become a softie. <laughs> well, we should obviously remind folks that as this, as the acting was getting going, of course the the music was still going. You're still fighting back from that initial kind of uh, disappointment with with the first uh, stuff. And so, talk about just because it was your first top ten Billboard single in the same year as Roadies is you, you and Camila Cabello with Bad Things, which goes to number four, Billboard Hot 100. I can't explain it. I love the pain. And I love the way that your breath loves me like Novocaine. And we are always high. Keep it strange. Okay, yeah, I'm insane. But you're the same. Let me paint the picture. Maybe made people start to think about you a little differently. I didn't care. Didn't care? No. I did, I, the I, charts didn't, wasn't exciting to have that kind of popular success? <sighs> you know when you see yourself about to fuck yourself with something that you're going to say? <laughs> I'm just going to stop myself. <laughs> Okay, okay. I, I think, like, um, I think, well, I'll say, I'll say this, like, no, like, the chip on my shoulder of, like, I need to r- really make something that that is mine, that I'm, I'm proud of, that really is, or I, that, that, you know, that, that didn't hit yet, that, like, came later. Right, right, right. I, I think, like, when I did... There was this album I did called Hotel Diablo, and there was like a song like like I think I'm okay. Like that's when I was like, this yes, that yeah. was when I that's yeah. when I started. Yeah, yeah. But um, I, like accolades don't make me proud of myself because th- that's what I learned from like mommy and daddy issues. Is it's not it's not outside validation that really matters. I I spent so many. That's why I was I like, if you look at me in my early twenties and trust me, the internet reminds me plenty of fucking times. Like I look like I, I look like a boy who doesn't know who he is and that's okay. Yeah. Cause I didn't know who I was till much later in in my life. And it's also that journey is for me. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I don't, I don't have you like some, some people will, will never know who they are, you know, like, but. So the, uh, movies continued with some very good directors, Susanna Beer with Bird Box, which one of the biggest hits for Netflix. You got Judd Apatow and I know you're friends with Pete Davidson on King of Staten Island 2020. My dog, my dog. Yep. And then in 2020 as well was this kind of big turn that caught a lot of people by surprise, but was the beginning of a new chapter for you, your fifth studio album, Departure from Rap, heading towards pop punk. This is, of course, Tickets to My Downfall 2020. I got got to stop you. Yeah. I got to stop you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I never departed from rap. No, okay, that's the wrong word. This is what is so mind-blowing to me. Okay. Is this is what happened? Yeah. I'm talented as fuck. Yeah. And I, I added on, I added on to my catalog of four great rap albums. So what I did was I added on. Yep. 
never departed, left, okay. or switched. Right. Because in the same year, I was the most viewed YouTube video putter outer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> with all rap, which was my lockdown right. sessions. No, for sure. Which gained more views than almost any of my other videos. No. And it was hundreds of millions of views of me rapping. So right. when people decide to, and this isn't you, oh, this, is, this is it's me. The is there cameras word. in here? Yeah. Good, motherfucker. Listen to what I'm saying. <laughs> when you conveniently leave that out, that when quarantine happened and everyone was stuck in the house with no new entertainment and I picked up my cell phone and put this thing on and wrote my ass off and wrapped my ass off weekly giving YouTube reactors ways to make content and giving audience members at home who are like, maybe I didn't even like him, but he's the only content coming out right now. So I'm going to watch it just to see what's going on. And then you watch it and you're like, damn, he's actually saying some shit. I was rapping. Yeah, yeah. And then later on, we dropped a number one album that was a pop punk album. So when they say departed or when they say oh man you switched motherfucker are you dumb like the like it's in it, it, it's that's literally like telling you two plus two doesn't equals four it's on paper it's black and white it's right there in front of you like do you like that's a, you know what my problem is right now because i'm a rant but this is this is my this is my issue someone said the other day to me they're like they were going to do, do what you're, you're doing, and they, uh, they asked me the first two questions. I said, let me stop you right there. Did you even see the movie? And she goes, oh, I saw the beginning. And I'm like, yo, this is the whole issue with, my, with journalism right now anyway. I dare a motherfucker to fucking tell any artist right now, oh, man, your content, man, the album content, it's not shit. Neither is your journalism, so why would they have any reason to make any good content fucking anyway? Because you motherfuckers aren't even listening to what the fuck they even have to say for them to even care to say anything deep enough because they don't even trust that you're going to dive deep enough to know what you're saying. I said... I use a razor to take off the edge, jump off the ledge, they said. You know what they go? MGK uses cheap, uh, obvious rhymes, razors, and cut. I'm not talking about cutting my wrist, dumb, dumb. I'm talking about I use a single blade razor to shave my face because I'm so, I have so much anxiety. I can't sit the fuck still for five seconds. The only time I have in the day because I don't meditate, because I drink so much, because I smoke cigarettes like it's my fucking job. I, the only time I give myself to calm down, to take off the edge, is when I use a razor to take off the, to just sit there for five minutes and shave my face. That's one line in the first song of that album. If you couldn't even dissect the first song of the album right, why, if I'm an artist now, would I care to say anything other than Shit, I'm lit, man. I'm, man, I'm just, I, like so. I don't want to hear it because, of course, the, of course, everyone's gonna make shit that is like 
eh, if you're not even caring to review it. Like you go back to, to magazines and read the way that they studied these albums. Oh my God, if you studied some of the, the double, triple entendres that I've thrown in these albums or the, the, the depth in which people are like, are you okay? And I'm like, do you listen to the fucking songs I make? No, I'm not okay. I've said it forever. Like, I, I, the, the depth of our culture needs to, it, we, need to we need to dive more. We're tripping. Like, it, it's, uh, why did I start this rant? Well, I used the word departure, which was I'm bad. sorry. But, no, but, no, no. But, 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 that, but that is to my no, point, I, though, because that is, it's not you. It's the narrative. Like, it, that's the narrative they try to do. But I am aware of that it's not what happened. It was a bad choice of words. But I want to ask you, though, because it's expanding, that maybe that's expansion. Can we say that? Of what yes, you... Okay. Yes. Say that, I'm, okay. say that I'm very talented and I added on to my shit. I, I definitely, uh, cause I'm sick of P I, there is no reason. What do you think? I was at home and I was like, well, man, I guess I got, it's like, <laughs> what? I, what? You don't think that maybe I'm just inspired by all this shit. You don't think that maybe I grew up listening to all you, what do you, what, what, what did we grow up in like a jail where they're like, you get one album, one genre and that's it. You got to do this for the, I'm like, don't. I just did a whole tour where I literally come out of a box. The metaphor of like, don't put me in a box. If that's not the most fucking obvious like sign of like, please stop putting me saying that I departed or that I switched. Please stop saying it. This isn't you. I love you to death. No, I'm really no, sorry. No, this isn't you. <laughs> you're the muse to get this no, rant that I'm I needed to have I'm happy you're getting anyway, it out. But... I'm happy you're getting it out. Now, the, the fact that you titled it and your next album, what you did, speaking of double entendres or, or you know, other meanings, can you just talk about that? Because I think you're, you're commenting there as well about some of what you're saying now. Mainstream sellout? Yeah. Well, just in terms of the, just even naming your albums, what you did is, is a commentary on the way people react to, to Yeah, Tickets to My Downfall. Right? Yes, absolutely. The time between making Tickets to My Downfall and Hotel Diablo was a time that, in pop culture regarding my name, I, the situation shall remain nameless, but everyone was like writing me off and being like, you know, it became an, an easy scapegoat to be like, fuck this guy. And like, you know, the world always needs somebody to point their finger at. Their fingers are bored. They, they need something to do. They can never do this. We always got to do this. Right. So apparently I was chosen to be the guy that the finger goes at. Um, and I chose to make a joke out of it. I was yeah. like, the, the, I, take us some, I, I made it ironic. I knew, and I gave myself an ultimatum. Like I put it in the universe. I was like, this literally either will be my downfall or the joke will be on them. And which it was, the joke is on yeah. them. <laughs> and then mainstream sellout came and because take us some, because then they were like, you know, oh man, well, I mean, the, the amount of creativity that you have to take away from every moment that I create, like they should really use that for their own selves and maybe they would be rich because the creativity they use to like be like, yeah, well, you know, it was Travis Parker on drums. So like, obviously, like, you know, like it, it just the effort they put into like taking away instead of adding to their own lives is commendable. <laughs> but you know, I, so I was stuck with another thing where I was like, oh, well, I really do want to make a rap album right now. But I was like, oh, well, I got to show them, though, that 
you can't get lucky twice, so let's let's do it again. So I came into mainstream yeah. sellout, and that was a, a devil entendre in itself because I was very mainstream at the time, and um, the the pop punk genre is very keen on using the word sellout and you know being like oh man you guys got too big so because you're so big like your shit sucks yeah it's not cool to like you yeah it's not cool to like you when you're when you're pop it's so funny i talk about this all the time it's like all the same people were like oh fuck that dude i remember your faces back when i was broken nobody and they're like yo bro anything we can do to help you get to where you need to get to man and then as soon as you get there yeah yeah fuck that <laughs> and then it, the double entendre is that we just went on a world tour and it sold the fuck out. The thing you were saying though, Colson, about, you know, people were trying to take away from you because of the, collaboration with Travis Barker that's nonsense but you do say that it's like kind of cool to meet to work with somebody who you admired as much as you did right yeah, I mean, that's my big brother that's yeah. my that's, that's one of my idols growing up I, that's that's I, yeah absolutely I, that that doesn't affect me at all I'm like you know I I owe so much to Travis and I, I acknowledge that you know but you you, you obviously you can't take away this the songwriting or you can't Not take away all. the you can't take away the and moment you acknowledge that that we you did. acknowledge yeah. your influences. I mean it's yeah. cool that you not many people get to work with the people that inspired them. So anyway, but what's awesome also is that in the middle of all of this musical creativity, in the last year or so, you have been on a run of movies that you're doing you're, it just seems like you're you're more creative and productive um, and prolific than you've ever been in some ways. Let's just note there was... You, you don't have to. You don't have to note. Just yeah, yeah. Right. The last... Son, well, so coming off the dirt in 2019. I know. You don't got to name the stuff. It's, it's, I, like, wanna, I, wanna, just I know, a, but it's embarrassing. Let's just... No, come, like, let's just really quick. Really quick. Okay. Just <laughs> The Last Sun in 2021. Midnight in the Switchgrass 2021 where you... We're not going to mention, except for it did give one good thing, right? Yeah, that was we. Yeah, don't okay, mention that one. I, I, I love my wife to death, but don't like that. We, me and her both, we we. Okay, don't, we'll we don't. skip that one. Uh, good morning, M O U R N I N G. Yeah. Uh, twenty twenty two stoner comedy for a new generation. That you are a writer and uh, just involved in all kinds of ways on that one. That was this year. Yeah, that shit's funny. <laughs> one way also this year. Yeah. And that brings us to Taurus, which is something that I get the sense is really taking it to a different level. I think, is it, are you, do you look at it as a, as a big step forward for you as an actor? Absolutely. I've waited my whole fucking life to be able to act, like actually be given a chance to act. I, I, this, this film is special beyond it just being that it was my film if somebody else made it and I watched it, I would be very happy that we had one of these for our generation. It just, it, it encapsulates like, it's the last week that a musician's alive. I live very much feeling like that, you know, like it, it, I, I don't, I've never been stable ever. I never really know what is going to happen. And uh, I think I've watched a lot of my friends not 
make it through the other side. This this movie is kind of just like um, a real look at what this life does to you. But it's not a... Uh, I think even down to like there's this, the recording process is cool because I you know when you ever when you watch movies and granted I'm sure when like Queen or Elvis or all them were doing their recording like it is like oh we have this big studio and like you need to set the mic up and do all this stuff like this this one is like we're doing some recording on like the voice notes on our phone and it's very much like how our generation records it's very raw and like it doesn't require all this thought that movies make it seem, but that's just because, you know, these like squares write the shit and try to talk like us or like act like they know what we do in the studio. They don't know what the fuck we do in here. And so I, it was like, I got a chance to represent for how our generation does it and what it's like in the studio for us or what we're doing, even down to the, you know, even down to the drugs. Like I was like, very adamant about switching because every in every rock star film like they're doing they always is this drug sequence which is very accurate in the sense of drugs are heavy in this life but i wanted it to be something that was that made you uncomfortable and that really is something that i lived and so i had them do whippets so i had him do like you know he would he would constantly be doing like whippets through the film and it was reflective of a, of a phase I had where I was like I just really want to escape and it like uh almost like gets the voices out of your head for a second it just replaces it with this right. and yeah well so this one you're much more than just not just but you're the leading man but also you were there all along in a lot of different capacities talk about how did you even first get involved with this? What was the hook for you? Me and Tim Sutton, who directed the film, were sitting in a cabin in Montana. We were doing that Western, The Last Sun, and he was like, if you ever write a movie about your life, or if you ever do a movie about your life, I want to direct it. And I kind of just like, we laughed it off and came back. To, like, uh, three weeks later, he sent me the script that he wrote in the three weeks that we were separated. And it was... Um, it was the movie. I mean, we made changes, obviously, like a lot of what we did or what made the film was kind of like in-person things when he was like, oh, just this is kind of the skeleton, but just take it and build the body you want around it. But he uh, he was very tapped in spiritually to who I was because he doesn't know any of the shit that the character was doing in the movie about me, but it was exactly who I was. Well, one of the big things that uh, the character who you play in this film is is grappling with is sort of a complicated relationship with fame, and obviously you're not playing yourself. Yeah, but like boohoo, I like I you know I I I I hated when I was a kid. I hated hearing about that. I was I was like fuck you, you're famous. Like who cares? <laughs> but like or like you know I, I don't want to say I, I can't explain with words what that is because i they explained it when i was a kid and i was watching them and i was like go fuck yourself i'm broke and like right. i have no life so like I, I i and like i want what you have and i would do whatever it, like, it takes to have what you have and like your problems i would do whatever to have that and like to an extent like the 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 inner that that kid is right because this life is a beautiful the highs are the highest highs man 
the, the, the highest highs. But I will not front that the lows are the lowest lows. Like, you think coming off of, you know, I don't know, you think, like, a hangover is bad or, like, the, you know, what do they call it, the Tuesday blues when you pop a X and then three days later you're like, dude, I fucking hate everything when you were just three days ago. Like, everything is purple. I love it. <laughs> I, I, I can't explain what it is like for, like, every day when you wake up there's screams for you. You know, you walk outside of your bedroom, you walk into, you walk into, out on the street, ah, ah, ah. And then I've lived those years when no one gave a, when, when it, when the scream stopped. Right. And you're like, nah, I, I, I need, I, I need my drug. Like, why is no, why does no one? And then, and then you're famous and your face, they know your face, but they don't, the, the, the same excitement isn't there. So then you become a jester. You're a, you are the butt of their joke. Oh, shit. That's that one dude who had that, that, that song, dude. You're that one guy. You had, you had Wild Boy, man. Do something crazy. I lived that. It was 3 p.m. Oh, shit, dude. Yo, do something crazy, dude. Yeah. It's... Do it. And <laughs> hey, you're low. Yeah. You're like, this is what I am to you. Yeah. And then you've lost it and you feel like, oh my God, will I never hear those screams again? And then the screams come back. And then now what am I doing? Scared like a motherfucker that I won't hear those screams again one day when I wake up. And then what happens when those screams don't come and you can't get that drug anymore? And it, it, and it really is over because you're, you're old and you're not hot to people anymore. And there's the next person who's like coming up with their shit. What do you do? Probably want to blow your fucking brains out because it doesn't... There's no, there's, there's no way to achieve that again. Right. Right. So I, I can't sit here and like put in words why that path ends up happening for a lot of people in this life. But that movie, it shows it. Absolutely. And the strongest character in that movie is played by Maddie, who plays Alana, who is my assistant, where... He turns you off from liking him very often at the beginning of the movie. Because you're like, oh, this dude's an asshole, man. Like, why do you, why do you want to? But then you see he wants so bad to be good. Right. And you see that she sees it in him. And she doesn't leave him. Right. And she sticks it out. And she, is, she understands that he was just a broken boy who has Peter Pan syndrome, which is me. You don't want to grow up. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're a lost boy and you are like, but then, but you have Wendy and you're like, man, and Wendy doesn't want to be with the lost boy. She's like, come back home and like be a, be a grown up with me. And you watch Peter Pan have the choice. So who's been the Wendy for you? Must I say? Why not score a few points? Um, but is, do you think that is the reason why you have in the last couple of years sort of just been so productive, so um, seems happier? Maybe. I, I seem happier? I, I mean. Yeah, but didn't you hear everything I just said? I did, of course, of course. So you don't think that maybe I'm doing some of that because I'm so scared of losing the fucking screams? I do get it. I get it. That maybe I'm like. I'm on no sleep. To me, it's 10 a.m. I've drank and my Bloody Mary is 
it couldn't be more finished than it is. Right. It's pretty finished. I, I'm, I just want to, I want to, I want to be a, uh, what I want to be is like a great friend mm-hmm. and a great father mm-hmm. and a great father and a great father and a great man to my lady. And still be able to find some way where I can have this dream. Yeah. I wrote in the comedy, Good Morning, I wrote this line. And just like so many of my lines that will go over people's head, I wrote this line. It said, because he's trying out to become Batman in Good Morning. And he chooses to go find his girl instead of going to the Batman audition. And there's this line where it's like, you can't have your your job and have your love. Like, and, and he goes, um, lose the girl, save the world, or don't save the world like Batman would. You know, like like yeah. you, basically, it's like the, it's it's making fun of the fact that there's always an ultimatum between your career and your and your your home life. Right. I don't, and I don't want to. I don't want. I don't want to. I don't want to have either. I don't want to be a. I don't want to be the most successful man and be lonely. And look like a certain motherfucker does right now. Yeah. Right. You know, and I don't, I also don't want to lose the screams. Right. Well, I guess there's no easy answers, but you're, you, we can just say thank you for all the great work and for being here and for tolerating my questions. Apology for the one, oh, no, one no, no, word no, no, that no, was no, bad. No, no, don't, don't, don't. Please do not apologize for creating a passionate environment. Give yourself props that this is the first time I've been able to speak my mind. Thank you. Thank you. I, I, I stopped doing interviews because I'm so sick of being asked questions that don't make me think or that don't make me feel. I... I've, do you know how many years I've been sitting at the computer looking at these fucking people talk about me like this? And I don't, I don't speak up for myself because it almost like, it almost is acknowledging something in a way where I, I, I don't want to act like I care and I rely on my fans to hold me down and they do and they speak it for me. But you know how long I've waited, like I've just sat there and heard this, oh, he departed, oh, he switched, oh, he, do you know how long that, that, how much that kills me every day that if I died tomorrow, I know every single person would be like, legend, dude, this motherfucker did this and did this. And like, while I'm alive, my flowers can't be brought to me when I'm like, yo, like I stepped up to the blackjack table and bet my life on this hand and when they turn the cards over blackjack motherfucker i want my money while i'm here and i don't give a fuck about actual money i've never once in my life looked at my bank account i could care less i care about real human interaction that's the shit to me Everyone has the opportunity to come see Taurus tonight and see this man get his well-deserved award. And uh, thank you again. Really appreciate it. Thank you.
Thanks very much for tuning in to Awards Chatter. We really appreciate you taking the time to do that and would really appreciate you taking a minute more to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or your podcast app and to leave us a rating as well. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can reach me via Twitter at twitter.com slash Scott Feinberg. Until next time, thanks for joining us. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.